Are you in a group chat? You're doing it again tonight? No. Please. It's my mum's remembrance day. I just want to forget about it. I'll do it. Cannot go for more than 90 seconds. Am I clear? What happens after 90 seconds? Don't want to stay. Light the candle to open the door. Blow it out to close it. Put your hand on it. Now say, talk to me. Talk to me. What did the hand feel like? So amazing. I can't see and feel everything on the other side. So my mom, she's trying to reach out. I'm here. Still been saying stuff. You mean saying stuff? What if we opened the door but we didn't shut it? Oh my god, they followed us. I like you. They're not gonna stop. You're never gonna stop. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Fresh Cuts. This is Mike, and joining me as always, it's Mr. Venom. What's up, Venom? How goes it? Greetings and salutations, players of party games. Ah, I'm doing pretty well, Mike. How the hell are you doing? Doing pretty good. Uh, I, don't know. I saw the movie for Fresh Cuts, and uh, I might be going to another movie tonight, the other one that released this week, which is Haunted Mansion. That'll be... Mm-hmm. If we go, it'll be a family thing, so, uh, yeah, so it'll be a productive uh, weekend of movie watching for sure. Uh, also with us, it's Don and Nelly. What's up, Don? Yeah, what's going on? Always happy to be here. All right. Well, uh, uh, for this episode, we are covering Talk to Me. Pretty much knew ahead of time that was going to be the movie, as it is a theatrical release. So this is from A24 Studios. Rated R, and let's see, uh, the synopsis goes as follows. When a group of friends discover how to conjure spirits using an embalmed hand, they become hooked on the new thrill until one of them goes too far and unleashes terrifying supernatural forces. All right. <laughs> Good effective synopsis there. Um, let's go to our, our, we start with general thoughts, so let's go to Venom to kick it off. What did you think of Talk To Me? Overall, I really enjoyed the film. I thought it had a really cool, creative concept. Um, we've seen cursed object horror films in the past. It's it's not like it's uh, reinventing the wheel necessarily, but just the way that 
our victim was haunted was I, I thought was very different. You know, it wasn't just a bunch of jump scares. It wasn't, um, you know, she would see a ghost that would, you know, freak her out a little bit and maybe give her some kind of cryptic warning, blah, blah, blah. We still had some ghost interaction in here, but it just felt slightly different than what we've seen in the past. And I think that slight little bit of originality definitely works. This is a directorial debut from the Philippu brothers, uh, Daniel and Michael. Uh, from what I understand, they're more known for their YouTube channel. And they've also done some like set work on other movies, but this is like their first major film that they've worked on. And, and they get to write and direct this one. So, yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, I thought the performances were cool. I thought the relationships were good. One of the things I mentioned last week with Ash, with our Ashvin's um, review was the, the fact that most of the cast, if not all of the cast, were very likable. And it was the same thing with this one. This one is very solidly a high school-oriented, you know, um, horror film. You know, these are all high school-aged kids, 17, 18-year-olds, a couple of younger ones, too. Um, but I just didn't find it nearly as insipid as I usually do with kind of teen-oriented horror films. Um, I thought everybody in it was likable. I thought there were some really good performances. Um, the mom, I thought, did a really, really good job um, with her performance. She's she's someone that's, um, yeah, Miranda Otto. We've seen her in the Lord of the Rings uh, films, so um, a little bit of a pedigree there. Not really a whole lot of big names other than her in this one, but still some really good performances, some really organic and believable performances. You know, I thought the score was solid. I thought the cinematography was solid. Um, I thought the scares were earned. They didn't feel cheap. Um, I, I sound like I'm, you know, ultra praising the film. And it's, it, you know, I, I don't know that it's going to be, I, I don't think it's a top 10 candidate really. But I did really, really enjoy it. Uh, I thought I, I actually watched it twice this weekend because <laughs> I actually went to watch it Saturday and I was a little inebriated. Let's just leave it at that. And uh, uh, the ending got a little convoluted for me in my inebriated state. So after that first watch, I knew I enjoyed the film, but I kind of wanted to watch it one more time, you know, uh, <laughs> with, a, with a clear mind. And I did that today. Literally less than an hour ago, I left the theater. Um, for my second watch of Talk to Me. And, yeah, I can solidly say that I enjoyed this one a lot. Um, I, I mean, I'm not, not, not a lot of uh, – how can I put it? There are some cringe-inducing, like, kill scenes in the movie. Maybe not kill scenes, but scenes of, you know, attacks. But the film still doesn't come off as, like, overly gory or overly violent because it's really only two major scenes of violence in the movie. Well, well, maybe three if you want to count two with the kid. Um, and they're very uncomfortable, wince-inducing scenes, but it didn't feel gratuitous. Again, it felt earned. Um, all, almost everything that this movie does felt earned. It's, you know, it's character arcs, it's story development. Um, just all of it felt really, just really believable. You know, I never rolled my eyes. I never checked my phone once to see what time it was. It's a 95-minute movie, so it's a nice, quick watch. It actually felt longer the first time I watched it, slightly inebriated. Um, but today, it was, a, you know, a, a you know a, a quick watch, nice pacing. Um, I didn't have any problem with the, you know, in between those scenes of horror with, like, with any character development or relationship development throughout the film. There are some freaky scenes in there, but... You know, like like I said, nothing overly uncomfortable to watch, but 
Yeah, uh, the long and the short of it is, overall, I was surprised by this film. I genuinely enjoyed it. A24 has not had the best 9 to 12 months uh, for me. They, they've actually put out a couple of films for the first time that I did not enjoy at all. And it's just nice to see A24 back on top, you know, with with what I consider a foreign horror film. I mean, it's Australian. I assume it's an Aussie production. Um, but, yeah, overall, I had a really good time with this. It was surprising. And, uh, yeah, I would definitely watch it again. So there you go. All right. Let's throw it over to Don. What were your general thoughts on Talk to Me? Uh, yeah, um, much like last week, I'm not too far behind Venom. Uh, again, not as high as he is, but uh, pretty much right in the ballpark. Uh, I do agree that there's, uh, you know, not a whole lot of originality or creativity in this. It's, you know, a monkey's paw or curse, you know, Ouija board or um, I'm trying not to, you know, be too spoiler here. But, you know, we've all seen these kinds of, you know, haunted things before that, you know, unleash curses or something evil trapped inside. And it's not really all that original on that front, but. Honestly, that was really about as far as all I had with it in terms of uh, genuine issues. I, I didn't think that there was much uh, wrong with uh, the way it developed. You know, putting it more of a team focus kind of adds a slight wrinkle, if you want to call it that. But, I mean, it, again, it's not really much to differentiate it from the dozens of other films that have followed this route. Uh, some Solid scares. I wouldn't say anything's really major. Um, there was a few moments where it, it kind of gets a little unnerving and they build it a little bit better than you think they were, which kind of got me a little off guard because I wasn't expecting decent attempts at suspense. I was expecting more of a jump scare factory kind of a film. And, the, you know, the attempts at doing that were handled pretty well, so I, it kind of got me there, but... Yeah, overall, there's really not much else I can add to it. Um, I mean, you know, nothing's, you know, groundbreaking or, you know, end of the year kind of top tier material kind of a film. But, yeah, for a mainstream film, uh, oh, God, what was that other one we did earlier this year? Um, uh, it was it doesn't smile. It was... It was the one that we were comparing Smile to and saying we should have gone back and reevaluated Smile. Oh, that's right. I forgot. Yeah. I know. I did too, and I can't remember. Um, I mean, this kind of reminds me very much of that one as soon as I can remember it. Um, <laughs> it yeah. It, for mainstream PG-13 kind of affair, it, it, it's far better than you think it is. Uh, you know, I had a lot of fun with it. And, you know, again, it's not boring or dull. Nobody's really, you know, like an asshole that really needs to die for, you know, what, what they're doing or anything like that. So, yeah, it was really kind of refreshing to see that and kind of helps, you know, keep the interest going when it's not focused on this curse or whatever. But, yeah, overall, I think the biggest issue is just that it's kind of, you know, been there, done that kind of material, just, you know, done in Australia with teens in the focus. So, um, if that makes it feel uh, different or unique enough, I guess, you know, good for you. Um, but, yeah, that, that's really, like, the kind of negatives I can fault us on. I mean, some of the outcomes could have used a little bit more gore. Some of them could have been bloodier. But, I, I mean, you know, that's 
not nothing to do with the film itself. It's just, you know, wishful thinking. But yeah, uh, overall fun time, better than you think it is. Nothing groundbreaking, but, uh, you know, pleasing hour and a half, 90 minute, you know, mainstream, you know, horror fair. So yeah, uh, I, I guess I don't, you know, don't have much else to say, but yeah, um, pleasantly surprised and really enjoyed it. Yeah. All right. So, again, another episode where the three of us are going to be positive on it. I just jump based on the general thoughts. I'm assuming I liked it the highest out of the three of us. It, it's interesting. Back when I first saw the trailer, I don't remember what movie it played in front of them, but it, it's been a few months, and I was kind of surprised that it was A24 because it almost feels like. A24 doing a Bloomhouse movie because the plot feels yeah. like what you would get from a Bloomhouse movie, but the, yeah, it feels more like Bloomhouse rejected this rather than yeah. Anything else. <laughs> and then it feels like it, like A24 handling it did a service for like the actual uh, depth of the characters themselves. And what's surprising is they did it in a what a 95 minute movie where like a lot of A24 they're. Uh, they're like two or two plus hours and not that I have a problem with that because I tend to like a lot of those movies and I think they're rich with like depth and all that. But in this one, they kind of managed to do it in 95 minutes. So it's kind of cool to see uh, a 24 like pick up on like, you know, a movie with like a more simple story with a lot of aspects that we've seen before. Um, but as far as like the positives, you guys pretty much went over it. Uh, it, it wasn't a movie filled with gore, but when we did get it, it was effective and pretty visceral. And what we got, uh, the, the some of the grotesqueness in the supernatural scenes was cool to see. And I, you know, I liked how the story played out. And, and you know, the some would call the ending abrupt, but I think how they managed to handle it was pretty effective. Um, they did get in some subtext here. I mean, there's something involving. A, kangaroo but again it didn't feel like overwrought like i almost kind of feel like for people who don't because the thing with a24 as a studio it's it can be a polarizing studio there's the people that just love a24 there's the people that hate it there's the people in between but i feel like the people that tend to not a24 like when they see the a24 logo they're just going to avoid it i kind of feel like they should give this one a chance because like i said it doesn't feel like the typical a story or movie that A24 is known to put out. Um, and like I said, that's not a criticism. It's just an observation from the movie itself. But overall, yeah, I liked it a lot. It, for me, it probably is a top 10 contender as of now. Um, but then again, I've, I've said many times over that, that overall, I think so far it's been like a weaker year. So who knows if we finish the last uh, five, six months with like strong contenders it could easily push it out. But for me, as of now, it's definitely in the top 10. But um, what else can I say that hasn't already been said? I, I did like the score. Um, uh, what else? I, I, I thought the characters were built pretty strong. For being like a typical, for a lot of, you know, typical stuff that we've seen before, I I, I was on board with like the the story of the, char- the characters. And I, it's actually funny because they, they kept with uh, the main character where at times it almost seemed like it was going to switch to the brother and sister being like the focus of the movie but um, they still kept with uh, what was her name? Mia, right? In the movie? Uh, Mia, yeah. 
yeah, she actually was pretty much the main character um, of the movie. And uh, I, I liked how the, the uh, third act uh, wrapped up. Um, man, there's not a lot more I can say without spoilers because you guys pretty much hit on most of the positives that I would have too. I, I did like the uh, cold opening as well. Yeah. It kind of set up something that uh, it was like it was like effective and visceral, but you, we, it didn't give everything away, right? It was like it was just like holy shit. It kind of reminded me of the way it follows opened, where it kind of gave you an idea of what's going on, but it didn't overexplain and it, the way. It just heads into the title screen. But anyways, yeah, I'll leave my general thoughts there. Very positive on this one. So I'll kick it back to you, Venom. Yeah, I'm trying to think since uh, since I can't really take notes in the theater. I'm trying to think what else I want to say about it. Um, like I said, I, I don't really have anything too negative to say about it. Um, on that first watch, like I said, on certain substances, the third act got a little complex and maybe a little convoluted for me. But watching it, you know, like I said, with a clear mind, it all made sense. And it made perfect sense, too. Um, you know, uh, another thing I really liked about this movie is just, um, you know, character decisions. Like, at no point in the film did I question anybody's decision. I, I feel like everyone in the movie did what needed to be done based on the information that they had, you know, based on the information that was available. They did, you know, nobody did anything really stupid. Mia was always trying to help. Even even when she herself was dealing with her haunting, she was still always trying to think about Riley and trying to think about what she could do to help Riley and Jade out. Um, so, you know, it's commendable, and it makes her a very likable character. Even Even with the events of the final act where... You know, you, you think that they might vilify Mia a little bit. You still understand that, you know, she's not 100% in control of her actions and everything. And it just, it, it made total sense. And I, I also liked how they did the ending, which, again, I can't, I can't really talk too much about it here for those who haven't seen it yet. But, you know, the, it, it's like they set us up for a certain event, and then that event moves forward and it doesn't play out the way that we expect it to play out and from there through the rest of the film I actually loved it I loved all the decisions that the filmmakers made on you know how Mia comes to the realization of where she is now and what you know her light her lot in life is blah 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 um just kind of the swerve of that final scene just really really worked for me ha, no no pun intended swerve <laughs> traffic joke sorry anyway <laughs> yeah i don't know i don't know what else i can really bring up on this one it's like um i i i had an endlessly great time with it went to see it a second time i can see myself watching it again i don't know if i'll go to the theater necessarily because there's still a couple other movies out including haunted mansion that i kind of would like to check out but yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed this one. Like I said, I, I bought into the relationship with the two girls right away. It felt, again, very organic, very real. Um, the relationship with the little brother, you know, being – the and he doesn't come off as the standard bratty little brother who's always just trying to ruin her his older siblings, you know, good time or whatever. So, again, I appreciate that, that none of these kids, you know, the only real – of all the kids in the movie – uh, there's a character named Haley that's probably going to be the most, um, I don't know, the one that people are going to be on the fence most on. Because, like, 
for the most part, I thought Haley's role was, you know, needed and necessary. I mean, Haley was basically our harbinger because Haley was the one who knew the backstory on all of this and relayed that story to us, which if you've seen the trailer, you know the character I'm talking about. She's the one who's basically explaining everything. I say she, I don't know what the proper pronouns are. I, after watching this movie twice, I could not for the life of me tell if that character was male or female. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be offensive. Uh, when I, As soon as I got home today, I looked up the actor, uh, the actor and it turns out that the, uh, the actor, Zoe uh, Tarakis, is actually non-binary. So it made sense why I had so much trouble placing the sex on this character. Uh, like I said, sorry, no, no intention on being offensive by any stretch, but just it freaked me out when I couldn't tell if that was male or female. And obviously it's not really important to the story by any stretch. It just kind of weirded me out. But, yeah. Non-binary act, uh, actor, uh, I forget the other uh, tagline that that person used. It was like, uh, I want to say transitional male or something like that. I can't remember. Um, but, yeah, so it made sense where my confusion came from there. But like I said, um, even with Haley's character maybe being slightly offensive to some, maybe not offensive. Offensive is the wrong word. I think abrasive. Abrasive is going to be a little bit better word to use. Um it still felt like a very organic character, someone that you would have in your friend circles, you know, the, the boisterous one who kind of thinks they know everything about a situation, blah, blah, blah. Um, I, man, I'm struggling to find more to talk about here because uh, it's such a short movie and it's such a, even though it does get kind of complex in the third act, it's still a very, it, it's a somewhat simple story. Cursed object, kids shouldn't have played with, kids are playing with it. One of them gets cursed, blah, 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 blah. It just kind of goes from there. Um, you know, as Don said, it's not a formula that we haven't seen before, but just the little tiny bits of things that they did original, I did appreciate for whatever it's worth. And like I said, overall, it's a good story with good performances made by good filmmakers. So I didn't have a major problem with it, ultimately. Anything yeah, else you guys want to add? Oh, go ahead. I was just, just going to say, like, to your point, I've heard um, some people, People just talking about the movie or all that, the they feel the first half was like stronger because it because it feels more unique in how it's set up and how it kind of sets the table. And then once it hits a certain point in the movie, then it kind of becomes a movie we're like familiar with with like how the rest of the play plays out. So I I have heard that sentiment too. Absolutely. And and you know, it's not a hundred percent incorrect either. Um, but the point is, it, the movie was still effective, so I'm not going to complain about that. Obviously, you guys know I love the nitpick, but I'm absolutely not going to nitpick about the non-originality of this film because everything that they did was effective. Everything worked. I agreed with all of it. You know, I mean, I don't know what else I can really say. I, I just really, really enjoyed this one. And uh, the one I was thinking of was The Boogeyman. Ah, the boogeyman. Oh, we all mercifully forgot about that movie already. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Why we couldn't remember it. <laughs> oh, damn. All right, folks. Well, I guess that is going to be your final spoiler warning um, before we go into our little mini walkthrough. Um, it's going to be a quickie because, like I said, I just saw it for the second time in the theater. It's only a 95-minute runtime, not a whole... You know, uh, outside of the horror of the film, there's not really a whole lot going on. So it's not like there's a whole lot of B plots or anything that we got to go over. So let's get into it. Uh, our movie opens up. It's a, there's a party going on. We see a character named Cole. 
uh, basically looking for his brother. He's on he's on his cell phone trying to call his brother. Uh, his brother's name is Duckett. I don't know if that's an Aussie name or if that's a nickname. God, I hope it's a nickname. But anyway, um, he's that he's basically walking up to the party, trying to contact his brother on his phone. He's unable to. He knows his brother is at this party because apparently his brother has already made a scene, um, and he's locked himself in um, one of the bedrooms in the house. So he shows up to get his brother. Uh, he gets to the bedroom where his brother is locked in. He's trying to talk to his brother through the door. He's not responding. He ends up saying something very cryptic through the door, like, you know, people are going to get hurt, something along those lines. Um, uh, eventually, Cole breaks down the door, just smashes it right down. His brother, we see his brother shirtless in the room. It looks like he's got some injuries, some scratch marks, some cuts, things like that. Uh, not a lot, but a few, uh, mostly on his back. And basically, as Cole is walking his brother out of the party, suddenly everybody at the party puts up their cell phones. And that's kind of a, it's a common theme throughout this movie is cell phone use in this one. I mean, the, the people being slaves to their phones is very rampant in this film. So uh, Cole obviously gets upset that everybody's got their cell phones up and that they're all recording him carrying what they think is his drunk brother out of this party. Eventually, what ends up happening is, you know, like I said, Cole tries to get some people to put their phone down. While he's doing that, we can hear off screen the brother uh, Duckett grab a knife, like pull a knife out of the wood block. We, we all know what that sounds like. And then we just see him bury the knife right into his brother's chest. Everybody at the party freaks out. They start to scatter, and um, Duckett just kind of walks out the front door or the side door, whatever door. It's one of the doors of the house, like a patio door. Walks out of the door, kind of looks around for a couple of seconds, and then looks down at the knife and just buries it into his own face. It's a quick shot, so it's hard to tell if it's, like, in his eye, in his cheek, or whatever. It just, But it's solidly, I mean, it's a big butcher knife, and it's solidly buried all the way up to the handle. In his face, he passes out, and that's the end of our cold open. We get to our uh, credit sequence, our title card. After that, we are introduced to the main players of this movie. They are, of course, Mia. Mia is our main character who two years previously lost her mother. Um, she's not 100% sure why, but as soon as she says um, what she thinks happened to her mother, it just becomes incredibly obvious to most savvy horror viewers what happened. But uh, basically, Mia tells uh, one of her best friends, hey, it's been two years since my mother died, and, you know, uh, somebody somebody at the party asks her how. She says, oh, she took, some, she took too many sleeping pills by accident, is what she said. Obviously, I think we all know where that's going. But, um, so, you know, again, Again, it's her Remembrance Day, as they call it in Australia. Uh, let's see. We're also introduced to Jade. Jade is Mia's best friend. Her brother, Riley, who's, you know, maybe like, I don't know, 12, 13 years old, 14 years old, somewhere in that range. A few years younger than Mia and Jade. And uh, we meet Jade's kind of sort of boyfriend, Daniel, who's a very, very Christian guy. So they've literally, they've been together three months. They haven't even kissed yet. Um, which kind of sets up a cool thing later in the movie that we'll get to because of Daniel being so Christian and proper. Um, interesting scene when he actually plays the game, but we'll get to that. Um, 
so anyway, at one point they start uh, watching this video, this YouTube video uh, of these people at a party. And apparently they know who these people are. It's like a local thing. And it basically looks like, to, to savvy horror fans, it looks like the people in the YouTube video are basically being possessed by, like, a demon of some kind. Because we all know that look of eyes either going full white or black when, you know, like, the pupils get gigantic and they're just solid black. We're used to one of those, it, you know, when someone's being possessed. So that's kind of what it looks like. We don't get to see long footage, long parts of the footage, just quick shots, and it's always just a close-up on somebody's face. Their eyes are black. They're sweating, you know, potentially drooling, whatever the case may be. It, it just, it definitely looks like there's something going on. Obviously, Jade believes that they're all, you know, faked videos, that they fake them just for internet popularity. Mia's not convinced. Mia thinks there might be some truth to it. Um, so one night. Mia and Jade sneak out of the house. Mia, Mia is staying with Jade for the night, and then, you know, there's, there's kind of a funny interaction between Jade and Mom, because Mom is very aware that Jade has been sneaking out, but, you know, yeah, she's was, kind I of being... Uh-huh. I was going to say, let's give it up a little bit for uh, her mom, the character of the mom. I think she's... Mom was smart. Her. Mom was way more savvy than most moms in horror films. Absolutely. We will give her credit for that. <laughs> that was awesome. Um... So let's see, where are we? Uh, so anyway, yeah. Mia, yeah, I think you Jade, just got to them sneaking out, yeah. Right, Mia and Jade and um, her, the little brother Riley ends up tagging along, um, obviously against Jade's wishes, but, you know, obviously she ends up relenting and they go. Uh, they all end up going to this party. Um, I forget the the guy's name. It's the black dude. It's his house the, the first time. Uh, but basically they go to one of their friends' house, and they pull out the hand and, you know, it's exactly like you've seen it in the trailer, just like a kind of a plaster ceramic forearm and hand um, in, in the handshake position. Um, they're given some basic instructions, which, again, you know, you've probably if you saw the trailer, I'm sure you've seen all that. Um, basically, as soon as the spirit gets into the person's body, they have 90 seconds to separate that person from the hand, from the plaster hand, or else, you know, the spirit may potentially stay forever or, you know, something may happen, blah, blah, blah. So uh, basically, they're looking for volunteers to go first. Mia, um, is she's the one who's been the most curious about this, so she decides to volunteer. She volunteers. She sits in the chair. They have to restrain her in the chair uh, just so that she can't, <laughs> so that the possessed person can't get away, like, you know, get up and get away with the plaster hand and end up doing it for more than 90 seconds. So they're strapped into the chair. It's, she's actually chained, like shackled to the goddamn chair, and then they let her know the rules. Basically, touch, you know, shake hands with the, with the hand, say the words, talk to me, and then, you know, we, what we don't get in the trailer is that when you say talk to me, instantly you see uh, an image of a dead person sitting in front of you, someone either, you know, recently dead or <laughs> the way that the condition of some of these spirits, they look like they'd been dead for a while. But basically, yeah, you're sitting across the way from a dead person. You're basically shaking hands like the plaster statue turns into the dead person's hand. And you're basically looking at a dead person. 
Okay, so obviously Mia freaks out because no one warned her about this. She's given no warning whatsoever. It seems like everyone who's already gone through it knows that's what was going to happen. So they're all laughing and having a good time. I cannot get over the fact that these kids are so cavalier with fucking with the dead. That's one of the things that gets me about this movie is, these, you know, you, you never question it because everything's happening so fast throughout the film. But, yeah, these kids are so, like, they definitely have that, you know, um, immortal mentality. Like, nothing can harm them because why would you willingly fuck with the dead? But, anyway, I digress. Um like I said, Mia, <laughs> Mia, Mia ends up letting go of the hand because when she looks over and sees the dead person, it freaks her out and she lets go and it instantly ends the ritual. Um, the spirit that she was looking at disappears. Um, Haley basically lets her know, hey, look, just, you know, don't let go of the hand. And if you don't want to look at the spirit, you don't have to. Um, you just have to say the words. And what words are those? The words are, I let you in. So basically, these kids are willingly being possessed by spirits. Now, luckily, not all of these spirits are demonic. In one instance, the spirit is kind of horny. Like, the spirit just really wanted to get laid and uh, forces our Christian kid to kind of masturbate on camera in front of these people to the point where he's even making out with the dog. It's definitely kind of an interesting scene because, because it was the Christian kid who's probably never touched himself ever, and now he was forced to touch himself because he was possessed. Anyway, point is, back to Mia's first experience. Um, she grabs the hand a second time, says, talk to me. This time we get a different spirit. It's an actual female spirit. Again, a large woman with you know very fucked up skin, like rotted. It looks like she's been dead for a while. Finally, Mia basically looks at her and says, I let you in. And then we get that effect where the spirit disappears. Um, the person holding the hand kind of, you know, wrenches their head back. Seems like they're choking for a few seconds. And then they come to. Their pupils are gigantic and black. And they're speaking in a voice that is not theirs. Now, this first one, it, it does, it starts out pretty like normal, like no big deal. Like, you know, the spirit, you can tell that the spirit is kind of getting used to being inhabiting a living body again. So they're kind of freaked out, like almost like they don't know what's going on. At least that's what we think. And um, at one point, the spirit or Mia possessed by this dead woman starts looking at Riley, the kid, the youngest kid in the whole room and starts talking about they want you and pointing at him, you know, basically saying they want you. And she she keeps saying, you know, he's standing right behind you. He's going to split you, boy. He's going to split you. And then she just starts repeating run over and over. Run, run, run with this gigantic demonic grin on her fucking face with her black eyes. Um, obviously, it freaks the kid out. They go to pull the hand away, the, the plaster hand away from Mia, because at this point, I think it was like 83 seconds, um, and Mia doesn't want to let go. Mia's basically holding, like, a, she's got a death grip on the hand, and she's still repeating, run, 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 over and over to Riley. Finally, they're able to get the, the hand away, literally at the exact 90-second mark, and... You know, she basically, uh, they blow out the candle. Uh, I, I think I mentioned the candle earlier. They have to light a candle before the ritual um, to let the, to open the door 
to the spirit world. And then when they're done, you know, holding the hand, they blow out the candle to close the door. So you, you got the basic gist of the of the uh, the game now. And yeah, this, this scene does get pretty intense with uh, possessed Mia screaming run to Riley like 50 times over and over again. It was actually a pretty cool little scene. Um, so that night, um, everybody's staying at Jade and Riley's house. So Mia's sleeping over there. Jade is, or excuse me, Riley, the little brother, is freaked out because of what happened. And, you know, Mia kind of yelling run at him with her big black eyes. Um, she, he doesn't want to sleep alone. He's kind of freaked out. Obviously, his sister Jade wants nothing to do with him. You know, it's not like he's eight years old anymore. He's like 14. You know, you can't sleep in your sister's bed. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he ends up going down to the living room where Mia is sleeping on the couch, and they end up kind of, you know, napping together, if you will. I don't want to say sleeping together because nothing happened. Literally, it's just a kid. But, um, yeah, obviously – the kid was scared, blah, 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 and let's see. Yeah, After they're, that, they're, they're doing uh-huh. a good job to establish, like, that uh, Mia's basically, like, an extended family member because she's obviously yes. been spending a ton of time with them due to the uh, the tragedy in her family. So, like, her friendship uh-huh. with the little brother, like, I feel like in the wrong type of movie, it'd almost be like, oh, some type of romantic, like, inquiry but for them no it's just merely like she's just best friends with the older sister and since it's like family the little brother kind of views her as an older sister almost exactly yeah all right so so after the party it's it's the next day and daniel uh jade's boyfriend kind of decides that he wants to try it he you know he he was kind of skittish that first night he didn't really want to try it but then after i guess after sleeping on it decides yeah fuck it i want to try it um and then we get um, basically Jade ends up inviting uh, uh, Haley and, and the black kid who has the um, the one who actually possesses the plaster hand. Uh, basically invites them over to her house to do a ritual, um, not necessarily intended to be a party, but you know they're they're getting a bunch of people together at Jade's house. We get this great scene where Jade's mother. Uh, again, the savvy old broad that she is, <laughs> um, basically questioning any everybody on the party. She questions Mia. She questions David. She questions Riley because she's convinced there's going to be a party. She's like, there has to be a party. I'm leaving. And and suddenly Daniel is here and Riley's little friend is there, blah, blah, blah. So she's absolutely convinced that there's a party. All the kids deny it. They don't know. You know they act like they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. And then the scene comes to a party and yes they are having a party so again mom is savvy she's way smarter than uh, the kids give her credit for so it is now the second night we are at uh, Jade and Riley's house and they have the handout and then this is the scene where David David is the first one to volunteer at this party uh, to do to play the game and this is where we get the scene where he kind of you know, whatever spirit it is that's possessing him is a very horny spirit because instantly uh, possessed David looks at Jade and goes, he hates when you touch him. You make him soft, um, which is kind of a point of contention because they've been going out for three months and they haven't even kissed yet. So it's kind of interesting to hear possessed David say these words that I don't know, may or may not be true. Probably aren't. But, you know, uh, demonic spirit speaking. Um, and then he looks over at Mia 
and starts kind of writhing in the chair. Like he's instantly aroused by Mia. He starts rubbing his own chest. Um, the, the hand starts going south. And then finally, yeah, his hand is between his legs. And he's, I mean, we don't see anything, but he's definitely implying masturbation. He could just be rubbing himself, kind of, you know, dry rubbing himself through his jeans. I don't know. Um because maybe the spirit that possessed him was a woman. We don't actually get to see the spirit in this particular case. So maybe it was a woman who was <laughs> rubbing one out. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, he ends up uh, falling out of the chair with the hand, with the ceramic hand, plaster hand still in his hand. And he's still rubbing himself to the point where the family dog comes down and starts licking his face. He starts tongue kissing the dog while he's rubbing himself. This poor kid. Of course, it's the ultra Christian who has this experience. Um, so finally, the 90 seconds uh, timer goes off. They pull the hand away from him. Um, it seems like when you come out of the trance, you know everything that happened. You remember all of it. Because as soon as he comes out of the trance, he's just like, uh, delete it. Delete that video. Don't fucking show it. Haley, of course, being the piece of shit that they are, um, basically is like, no, nah, no, nah, we got to post this. This is too funny. He ends up leaving the party in a huff. And then we get a montage. After that, we get a, mon a like a musical montage of just everybody else at the party taking turns. So we see like Mia take another couple of turns with the hand. You know, we we finally see like Haley and the black kid do it. And basically, everybody at the party has had a turn except the two kids, except Riley and his friend. Riley's friend, who seems like he might be a little uh, like older than Riley kind of volunteers, you know, like the tough guy that he is. He's like, oh, I want to do it now. Instantly, Jade is like, no, you guys are not going to do this. You, you, neither of you are even 15 years old. I'm not going to allow you to play with this shit. There are a bunch of 17-year-olds playing with this shit, but apparently there's an age cut off to this. So, yeah, there you go. Um, eventually, Jade gets pissed off that Riley keeps kind of pushing the point. Eventually, Riley's like, how about just 60 seconds then? You know, like basically thinking maybe if I'm not um, in the trance as long, I won't be in, in as much danger as some of the older kids. Um, Jade is still adamant that she doesn't want him to do it. Um, then he's like 50 seconds. You know, he, he's basically just trying to work out a deal so that he can take a turn to do this. Jade leaves the room in a huff. Um, Haley and her buddy are basically, they're packing up the hand, basically getting ready to go. Um, Riley is begging Mia for permission because apparently Mia's, you know, like I said, kind of a family member, as is kind of mentioned later in the film. She's more of a family member than a friend. So finally she relents and says, okay, 50 seconds. That's all you get is 50 seconds. He's fine with it. They go ahead and start the ritual. He grabs the hand. He says, talk to me. Um, he sees the spirit. And you can tell when he sees the spirit. I think he recognized the spirit because instantly he looked over at Mia with this look of fear on his face. Like, I don't really want to do this. But everybody at the party is egging him on to say, to, you know, to tell him, say it, say it. I let you in. Say it. And finally he relents and he's like, all right, fuck it. And he says it. I let you in. He, you know, his head whips back and, we, you know, we see that he's starting to get possessed. And as soon as he starts talking, he sounds vaguely female and he's saying, I'm sorry. He's apologizing. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 
I, I would never do that to you. I would never purposely hurt you. And then finally, this, you know, um, possessed Riley goes, I would never leave you, me. And me is basically what um, Mia's mother called her. That was like her pet name, just, you know, her nickname, me. Just called her instead of the full Mia. And instantly, um, Mia recognizes, maybe, I don't know about recognizes the voice, but recognizes the person calling her me. And she instantly says, Mom, and you can see tears start falling from her eyes. Right when Mia realizes that it's um, that it's her mother, it's the 50-second mark. And Haley's like, okay, that's it, 50 seconds, let it go. That's when Mia's like, no, that, that's my mother. I, I want to talk to her. Do not, you know, we still have, whatever, 40 seconds, you know, until we have to pull her pull them out. So then she basically, you know, is talking to her mother trying to get some information about her death, blah, blah, blah. We don't really, you know, get a lot out of her on this instance other than mom basically apologizes and says, I would never do that on purpose. You know, I would never leave you on purpose. Uh, And then she starts to kind of, well, possess Riley, I should say, starts to kind of freak out. He starts to do the choking effect again. And then suddenly out of nowhere, he slams his own head onto the table that has the plaster hand on it. And everybody's in shock. Everybody's freaked the fuck out because this is the first time anything violence ever happened with this game. And then he lifts up his head and slams it down again. And it, it, there's some pretty fucking intense head slams. Like, there, there's no cut editing here. I mean, you see the head hit the edge of the table and start to get indented. And you start to see cuts forming on the face. Finally, um, Mia jumps on him to try to stop him from, you know, smashing his head against the wall. Um, Haley and a couple of the other people try to help out as well. Eventually, a possessed Riley is able to get out of the hold, and something slams his chair up against the wall so hard that it breaks the window. He smashes, not through the window, but he smashes the window open. Then the chair turns towards, like, a dresser or, like, a cabinet of some kind in the living room, and he he basically looks around and he gives this like very evil looking grin and then starts slamming his head on the edge of this table, which is much sturdier than the first table he was slamming his head on. So the sound effects and the visual effects are very intense here. He ends up slamming his head twice. Then finally his face is all fucked up. He's lifting up his head to do, like, one more big head slam onto the thing, onto the edge of the cabinet. Um, Finally, Jade shows up. Riley's sister shows up. She sees what's happening. She lunges towards the cabinet and puts her hand in her brother's brother's head's way. So when he slams his head down on the cabinet the last time, he's actually hitting his sister's hand, um, which that's blocking the cabinet which I guess ends up saving his life because he does not end up dying from these horrific injuries. He ends up going to the hospital. Everybody's, you know, obviously everybody's freaking out because they can't tell, they can't talk about the hand. They can't tell the cops that it's a supernatural game that they've been playing that caused this because obviously cops aren't going to believe them. Um, I got to say the kids here are even savvier than some horror adults because some horror adults will still try to give the police these ridiculous, unbelievable stories. But in this situation, much like the end of the blackening, 
they kind of they tweak the story a little bit. Um, instead of talking about having any kind of ritual or playing any kind of spiritual game, uh, they just said that he freaked out out of nowhere, that he just kind of had a breakdown and just started slamming his head up against the, the, uh, the edge of the table. Now we go to the hospital where, you know, Riley is now in a coma in the hospital and his mother and his sister are there. Um, Mia shows up, obviously thinking, you know, Riley's like my brother. I want to be there. But when she gets to the hospital room, Riley's mother instantly is like, no, get the fuck out. Um, Riley's mother is convinced that Mia gave uh, Riley some kind of drugs because because Mia smoked weed once a long time ago. So apparently Jade's mother now kind of labels Mia as a drug dealer. So go figure there. So anyway, she's convinced that Mia gave the son something to make himself hurt himself. Obviously, that's not the case. But, you know, they haven't done any kind of blood tests yet, so the mom isn't sure. So she basically kicks Mia out. Suddenly, right there, Mia starts having hallucinations. She starts thinking that she sees her mother. You know, after the situation with with possessed Riley, you know, being possessed by her mother, or at least conceivably uh, 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 possessed by the mother, um, she starts seeing images of her mother, you know, like in the hospital, uh, on the way home, just at different places. Um, it all It's almost like her mother's spirit is following her. Mind you, after Riley smashed his head, we never see if anyone blew the candle out. Remember, they have to blow the candle out to close the door at the end of the ritual. We we don't get that. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry, folks. So anyway, um, you know, uh, we have some supernatural events, Mia hallucinating, Mia seeing different things, people acting differently than they should be, blah, blah, blah. Eventually, at one point, Mia ends up taking the hand. I, I'm not sure if she took it without permission because... Haley and the other guy don't really say anything. Um, she's just somehow in possession of the hand. She ends up um, basically doing uh, playing the game by herself, which to me seems incredibly fucking dangerous, but there you go. But I am going to give Mia credit because Mia was smart about it. She starts the ritual by saying, talk to me, but then she doesn't finish it, you know, because remember, they have to say, I let you in to let the spirit enter their body. So basically she just says, talk to me to get her mother to kind of expose herself, which, you know, again, conceivably she does. We see her spirit um, sitting across from Mia. They're holding hands in the handshake position. This is when Mia basically asks her, did you kill yourself? And the mom says, no, the spirit says, no, I did not. Um, she starts talking about how her father isn't who they he, they think he is. She's like, Max isn't who he's supposed to be. That's not Max. Which obviously starts to convolute things a little bit more. And then later in that same scene, Max ends up coming home. Her father, her father's name's Max. Uh, he ends up coming home, having a talk with her, and basically says, listen, I've been keeping something from you uh, for these whole the, the two years since your mother died, and it's not fair, so I'd like to read you something to her. And what he ends up reading is Mia's mother's suicide note and basically reads the note saying, Dear Max and Mia, 
you know, I, I just want you to know that this is one of the, this is the first time in a long time that I don't feel hopeless. I actually feel like, you know, the future looks bright and that you guys will find success in whatever you do and blah, blah, blah. And just basically apologizing um, before she kills herself. So, you know, once dad reads that letter, we now realize what we basically thought the whole movie, that Mia's mother intentionally uh, committed suicide. But after dad reads the note, um, dad and Mia have an embrace. They're in the middle of a hug and the mom spirit shows up again. And she says, don't believe him. He's a liar. He, he th that's not Max. Again, she's repeating. That's not Max. That's something else. That's not your father, blah, blah, blah. So she ends up going up to her room. She goes up to her room and her mother is up there waiting for her. Her mother's spirit is in the room and this is where the mother basically tells her, oh, I forgot to mention, that's right, shit. I forgot to mention that at one point in the hospital, uh, Riley, uh, not Riley, excuse me, um, Mia figures, well, wait a minute, maybe we didn't blow out the candle at the end of the ritual. Uh, maybe, you know, we still need to blow out the candle. So they decide to go to the hospital room while Riley's mother is away somewhere. They bring the hand to the hospital room. They basically, they put, they put Riley's hand into the hand, and then Mia says, talk to him. Now, I'm not, you know, obviously she's changing the rules. I'm not sure if it works. Ultimately, I don't think it really did. Um, she tries it a couple of times where she says, talk to him, and they blow out the candle, but it doesn't seem like anything happens. So finally, Mia decides, well, wait a minute. If his spirit is in limbo, I may be able to talk to him with this game. You know, even though he's not dead, his spirit is not in his body right now. He's in limbo, so maybe potentially I could speak to him. She decides to go ahead and try to call Riley and then grabs the hand and says, talk to me. But instead of Riley showing up, we get a little girl. This, this you know, pretty little girl um, is just, you know, sitting there holding hands with Mia. Mia basically says, do you know if his spirit is around? You know, she points towards Riley. No one else sees the spirit, obviously, because Mia's the one holding the hand. Um, she basically says, do you know where he is? And the little girl says, yes, I know where he is. I can take you. She ends up, um, <laughs> what ends up happening is the little girl then looks at Mia and says, I let you in. So it's backwards now. Now Mia is entering the little girl. And what she sees when she's in the little girl is equivalent to the security footage from the Event Horizon movie. If you guys remember that security footage where the crew was just getting fucking decimated by demons, screwed and torn apart. We basically kind of get the same thing here where we see a bunch of humanoid people kind of tearing at Riley. Riley is basically in a crowd. It almost looks like the shunting, too, from uh, society a little bit. <laughs> uh, maybe without the connection, maybe without the flesh connecting, but just the way it was kind of like a mound of people, and they're all tearing at Riley, and Riley's screaming in pain and blah, blah, blah. And yeah, then finally... Like torment, huh? basically. Like exactly. Torment. He's... He's definitely being tortured somewhere, or his spirit, I guess. At least that's what the, what, what the little girl is implying. So, after the little girl basically lets go of uh, Mia's hand, Mia comes to and realizes, oh, shit, 
he's in danger. His spirit is being tortured. We need to do something. Um, she's not 100% sure what she can possibly do. Um, she ends up going home, having that little interaction with her dad when uh, dad reads her the suicide note. And then she goes up to her room. And after she gets up to her room, and like I said, her mother's spirit is sitting there waiting for her in her room, we hear dad on the other side of the door, um, you know, banging at Mia's bedroom's door, uh, basically saying, let me in, let me in, almost like she locked the door behind him. But then we see the camera go back down to the living room, and dad is still down there. Dad is still there. He's going through Mia's book bag, the book bag that has the plaster hand in it, he ends up finding the hand, and at the moment that he finds the hand, the other dad, the one that's upstairs banging at her at Mia's bedroom door, breaks into the door, gets into the room, starts attacking Mia, starts throwing her around the room, basically slapping her around. Finally, he gets on top of her, straddles her, and starts choking her, just starts choking her to death. Mia starts looking around her room. She sees a pair of scissors on the ground. She's, you know, trying to reach for it, reach for it. You know, we get that tense moment where, you know, will she or won't she get the scissors? <clears throat> Finally, her real dad comes into the room. And what we see through Mia's eyes is that she's being choked by something that looks like her father, but has fucked up skin, you know, looks like he's been dead for a while. So it's obviously not her father, but when her father walks into the room, what he sees is Mia just on the floor by herself, writhing. Dad, you know, obviously being concerned, rushes to Mia's side to try to figure out what's going on. But at the exact moment that dad bends down to check on his daughter, Mia got a hold of the scissors and uh, stabs her father in the throat, right on the side of the neck. Uh, pulls it out right away. We get the arterial spray, the blood spurt come out. Dad doesn't say anything, but he definitely has a look on his face like, what the fuck? <laughs> what did I do to deserve this? And Mia instantly realizes what she did, that, oh, shit, I, I just killed my actual father. So she comes up with a plan. After her mother, the spirit of her mother basically tells her, there's only one thing that you can do for Riley. There, you know, there, there's only one thing you can do. You have to sacrifice him. You have to kill him. It's the only way you're going to save his spirit from an eternity of torture, blah, blah, blah. So Mia, after killing her father, realizing that she fucked up, ends up driving to the hospital. But from the parking lot, before she actually walks into the hospital, she calls Jade and tells her, I need you at my house. I need you right now. I need you to come here and get me, blah, blah, blah. Jade, of course, being a best friend, says, okay, I'm coming. I'm on my way. But as Jade leaves the hospital parking lot, we see that Mia is sitting in her car in the hospital parking lot just waiting for her to leave. She then goes up to Riley's room, and we see in her back pocket the scissors that she just used to kill her dad. She brought the scissors with her. Um when she goes into the room to talk to Riley or to see Riley, mom is there. But this time, mom has a different tone. Um, she's apologetic. She lets Mia know that the doctors did the blood tests and found out that there were no drugs in his system and that he just had a mental breakdown. And, you know, she basically is telling Mia, I didn't want to believe that. I wanted to believe that you or one of your friends, you know, drugged him. 
um, and I want to apologize. And, you know, you know, Mia's obviously considering what Mia is there to do. Um, you know, she basically tells her, you know, there's no need to apologize. You had every right to be mad. You still have the right to be mad, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's your only son, yada, yada, yada. Um, Mia then asks if she could have a moment alone with Riley, and the mom is like, okay. Mom ends up leaving, going to the cafeteria or something. She leaves the floor um, because she's not on the floor after a couple of minutes. And then we see Mia kind of looking at Riley but then Riley isn't Riley anymore. After a, after a couple of minutes, Riley kind of morphs into another one of these spirits that we've seen. This time it's an old man. But again, he's got the same telltale signs, the red eyes, the kind of fucked up skin, like he's got some kind of skin condition. And he's basically talking about how we're never going to let him go. He's, he's talking to Mia and, you know, basically telling Mia, yeah, we're never going to let him go. He's ours forever. Blah, blah, blah. Mia picks up the scissors or takes the scissors out of her pocket, tries to build up the strength to stab Riley right there. It's not Riley. Like I said, she's looking down at some random old man. Um, almost looks like the old guy from Thinner, if you guys remember Thinner, that Stephen King movie, that, you know, kind of decent Stephen King movie. Um so after after a few minutes of uh, going back and forth and struggling with wanting to stab him but not being able to, which kind of calls back to a scene earlier in the film when um, she had just picked up Riley. Uh, it was very early in the movie where Mia had just picked up Riley and they found a kangaroo on the side of the road that had obviously been hit by a car. Mia didn't hit the kangaroo. She just saw it pulled over. Um, Riley tried to convince her to put it out of its misery and she couldn't bring herself to do it. You know, I mean, do we really expect a 17-year-old girl from the city to, you know, to have the cojones to kill a fucking animal? Uh, it's a lot to ask. Um, obviously, she can't do it. Riley starts yelling at her, saying, you can't leave it there. It's crying. Instantly, I'm thinking, well, you fucking kill it then. Stop, <laughs> stop being such a fucking tough guy, but then giving me shit, you know, when I can't do it. Blah, blah, blah. They end up leaving the kangaroo alone um, to die on its own, assuming it died. We don't know. We never see it really again. But during this scene with Riley, where she's kind of trying to decide what she needs to do, she actually has an image of the kangaroo pop up into her head. And the kangaroo is like in the hallway, in the hospital hallway right outside of Riley's bedroom. So when she sees the kangaroo, she kind of takes it as a sign of, okay, I couldn't put the kangaroo out of its misery. I kind of have to be able to put Riley out of his misery because he's legitimately suffering, blah, blah, blah. At least that's what she thinks. <laughs> and anyway, so she ends up taking Riley, uh, putting him in a wheelchair and taking him out of the hospital. At, this, at, at the same time that this is happening, Jade arrives at um, Mia's house and finds Mia's father's body. I don't think he's dead yet because he's actually still moving. He might be on the brink of death. Um, sadly, we never get an update after this to find out if dad actually died or not. Um, but, yeah, when, when Jade walks into the room, he's still kind of grabbing at his throat, which is still bleeding profusely. We could probably assume he died. Um. And then, you know, she ends up calling her mother, telling her mother, where's Mia? I was supposed to pick her up here, but she's not here. Where is she? 
Uh, mom says, yeah, Mia's right here uh, with Riley. And she's like, mom, don't let her, uh, don't leave her alone with Riley. She's dangerous. Um, we don't actually get to hear, you know, um, Jade say that she killed her father. But again, credit to mom, she reacts instantly, like fucking no hesitation. The instant that Jade says Mia's dangerous, she goes running back to the bedroom. Obviously, Riley's gone. Uh, when Jade is then pulling into the hospital, she sees Riley, um, excuse me, she sees Mia pushing Riley on a wheelchair towards the freeway. And there's like a busy freeway right there next to the, um, the hospital. Um, we basically see her pushing the, the, the possessed Riley, or at least, again, perceived possessed Riley, the old man in the wheelchair. And then we realize that her mother is right behind her. Uh, the spirit of her mother is basically right behind her um, as she's nearing the road, as she's nearing the edge of the freeway, ready to uh, perceivably push um, Riley's wheelchair into traffic to kill him. You know, like I said, we see the mom behind her saying, you're doing the right thing. You're saving Riley's soul. He'll be with us. You know, he'll be with us forever. And it almost seems like right at that moment, Mia almost has like a thought, like, wait a minute. What are you talking about? She'll, he'll be with you forever. But at that point, it almost seems like mom almost takes over for Mia's body um, Jade, like I said, Jade is trying to run to where they are. She's maybe about 10, 12 feet away from them as she's running towards them. And we see Mia let go of the wheelchair. And they're on a hill, so the wheelchair is going to just naturally go right into the road if she lets it go. We see her let go of the wheelchair, and then the camera moves to inside of one of the cars on the road. And we get this great little effect where we see... Mia, Jade, and the wheelchair on the side of the road from inside the car, we see that they're kind of going into the road. The car swerves so that we can no longer see the wheelchair and Mia and Riley, but we could tell it hits something because it hits something, then it gets hit by another car, and then finally it comes to a halt. So obviously, you know, we're all thinking, oh, shit, she actually threw the wheelchair in the road, and Riley is dead. But what do we find? Uh, well, we find Mia on the middle of the road, <laughs> just all bent up, uh, bent out of shape. Nothing broken necessarily, but just, you know, in an unnatural position on the ground. But she ends up getting up. She ends up getting up um, and just kind of looking around. And then she sees that um, Riley did not make it to the road. It looks like Jade got there in time, pushed Mia into the road, and somehow saved her brother. Um, Riley is basically still in the grassy knoll off the road, and, you know, um, Jade is kind of embracing him and letting him know that everything's okay. Um, and then we see the crowd, we, we, like the people, the drivers on the road, we see them get out of the car but they're not acknowledging Mia. At this point, Mia is standing up, looking around, looking back towards where Riley and Jade are, and none of the people in the road are acknowledging her. Savvy horror fans know what that means. Then we basically, we see um, almost like the scene transition. Like, we don't actually see Mia go to the hospital. It just kind of transitions to the hospital. And apparently a lot of time has gone by because what we see is we see a completely healthy Riley. 
all his damage, all his injuries are healed, and it's his mother and his sister, and they're all checking out. Uh, you know, based on the injuries that Riley got both before he got to the hospital and after he got to the hospital, you got to figure this is like weeks, if not months later. And she's still all tore up, you know, from the car accident. And we can tell that time has advanced pretty greatly. She ends up, um, finally, she ends up realizing that, wait, something's wrong with me. So she finally, she lifts her hands and we see that most of the fingers on her hands are broken and bent backwards. And she didn't even notice. So I, I think we all are kind of starting to figure out where this is going. She ends up kind of, her- kind of reminded me of, uh, the Maitlands walking back to uh, their house in Beetlejuice and did not realize they were dead, <laughs> if you, if you yeah, remember. Yeah, that. exactly. Yep, big time. So, um, so like I said, after Mia sees the family kind of check out of the hospital and leave, the scene goes black, and she sees her father in the hospital hallway, and she calls out to him, but he's not answering. And she starts to give chase. She starts to go at not that not that her father's running away, but he's way ahead of her, so she's trying to catch up to him. Finally, he goes into an elevator, turns around, looks at her very briefly, like I, I mean, like literally a split second, and then the doors close. the uh, The elevator doors close, and we hear Mia's voice say, "Don't leave me here. Don't leave me alone in the dark." You know, basically, I think Mia's uh, um, finally coming to terms with what happened, that she is no longer among the living. And then we hear um, a match light. Um, the screen is dark, totally black. We see, we hear and see a match get lit and then a candle get lit. And then suddenly Mia walks up to a table and she sees a human hand sticking out like it wants to shake hands. It's not the plaster cast. It's just a normal hand and it's it's basically being lit by a candle. So all she can see is the hand above the candle. She walks up to the hand. She grabs it. And then we're transported to a scene of a bunch of Spanish kids at a party. And they are playing Talk to Me. But this time it's Mia on the other side. And basically the movie ends with the guy holding the plaster hand saying the words, I let you in. And... That's the end of our movie. It just kind of ends there. So it's come full circle. Mia was playing the game, and now Mia is trapped by the game. Yeah, pretty pretty interesting story. I, I kind of dug it. So the the ending to me, so that basically told me that um, the spirits that show up can be just like, okay, nice spirits, because that was actually her. Yes. Whereas in like before... I was trying to, since I only saw the movie once, and maybe Venom seen this, maybe you picked up on some nuance. The very first time Mia sees her mom, are we to believe, like, that time it's her actual mom, but after that it's, like, the demons, like, imitating? Because there was that line of dialogue earlier that said the spirits can, like, imitate other people. Right, but don't forget... Um, the very first time that she sees her mom, the mom says that she did not kill herself on purpose when it seems like reality is implying that she did kill herself on purpose. So my theory is that that was never Mia's mother. That was always some demon fucking with her. I forgot that she actually got that far into like a discussion on the very first time she. Yeah. Yeah. 
she basically because because the mom kept apologizing. I'm sorry, I would never leave you on purpose. Blah blah blah. Yeah. It wasn't until she saw her mother in her own house when she was playing the game by herself that she flat out said, "Did you kill yourself? Did you did you commit suicide?" And the mom denies it. And that's when the mom starts saying, you know, your dad is not who he says he is, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I mean, I could be totally wrong, but to me, that was never her mother. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, because we've seen it before. We've seen it in lots of movies with Ouija boards where people think they're speaking to, you know, a, a specific spirit. But then, no, they're speaking to some other more malevolent spirit who's just fucking with them. Yeah, true. Yeah. So, I mean, I could be wrong. Like I said, I'm always open to the potential for me being wrong. Um, if the filmmakers ever come out and say, oh, no, that was absolutely Mia's mother, then <laughs> fine. I'll happily be wrong. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I definitely know, like, throughout the movie it was not her mom. Yeah, um, yeah. I just – some of the shit that she was saying. And, and then, of course, once she says – you have to sacrifice Riley. It's like, oh, come on. No mother would ask her own daughter to kill one of her best friends. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right. Well, if that wraps up our discussion on Talk to Me, then uh, we will continue talking by letting everyone know where okay. else <laughs> they can listen to us. So uh, we recorded late in the week. Uh, our previous episode, so it's a short turnaround, so there might not be a bunch of new stuff since we last recorded, but just in case, uh, Venom, do you have anything new to report? Well, there is one new thing to report. The main show, episode 54, is now available. Last time we recorded, it wasn't quite available. Mike was still putting some finishing touches on it, but yeah, it is out. I saw the post. It is officially out there. That is episode number 54 of No More Room in Hell where we looked at, um, those were Derek's picks, I believe, or were those yours? Derek's, yeah. So that was, yeah, that was the Mana 2 and um, the Incubus. Incubus, yeah. Good time. Uh, pretty interesting discussion that ended up becoming our burning question because we we started talking about it during our What We've Been Watching section. So uh, the episode's a little jumbled, but it's all there for you folks. The news is there. Burning question, everything. It's just maybe a little out of order. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's available now. Uh, Creature Comfort, still episode 18 is our latest episode where we looked at uh, the Thai release, The Lake. Um, and that's – oh, and then, yes, I do actually have some new news. Uh, the Joe Blow Horror Show, the episode that I was on where we discussed Resident Evil Apocalypse, is now out. It's officially out. I saw, I saw the post last night, so – Look look out for that wherever you get your podcast. I'm not sure what network they're on, so I can't really point you towards their network, but it is the Joe Blow Horror Show. I don't think they're on a network. I think they're just independent. Okay. Well, that makes sense then. So, yeah, look look around for the Joe Blow Horror Show, and my episode is the latest episode, which would imply that Mike's episode will be the next one to come out. So um, that's pretty much all from me. Nothing on the Crystal Lake gift shop front. Still still waiting to get together and do episode four of that one. But that's about it for me. All right, Don, what do you got? Uh, yeah, as mentioned, uh, the latest episode of uh, Creature Comforts is available. Um, we are in preliminary stages for uh, the next episode. I think we've narrowed down the film we're, we're talking about. Um, 
I'm trying to think back on the conversation. I, I think we've got two choices planned. Um, we're more than likely leaning towards one. So uh, expect that um, in the coming stages. Uh, the latest episode of Podcast in the Woods features yours truly. We looked at the Argentinian classic Terrified, which was a lot of fun and uh, rightfully earned rightfully earned uh, plenty of praise and applause from uh, the three of us who uh, covered it. Um, that is available on uh, pretty much every platform. Uh, they are known as Podcast in the Woods. Uh, again, the latest episode of Road to Nowhere is uh, with me, where, where I did a uh, triple shot of Lucio Fulci. Uh, that is available under Road to Nowhere, uh, spelled K-N-O-W-H-E-R-E instead of uh, the usual nowhere. And still waiting on uh, Stu World Order. We're, uh, you know, coming up on a couple months now. But, uh, you know, hey, I, I record stuff in April and release it in September. So uh, I guess that's kind of not necessarily all that uh, out of the blue. And uh, finally, uh, the latest episode of Horror Countdown is available. And this time, which is uh, not necessarily planned, but uh, again, this was just uh, incredibly uh, fortuitous. The 69th episode of the show is our top 10 hottest and sexiest vampires. So, <laughs> yeah, that, but again, I, I don't plan this. I don't have any kind of uh, special, you know, there, there's nothing special with going on. It's just that's the way it goes. So, yeah, uh, the 69th full-length episode of the show is sexy vampires. So <laughs> there, there, there better be some lesbian vampires in there. <laughs> I can think of a few. I don't know. I was supposed to pick nails. Vampiros <laughs> <laughs> lesbos. Oh, don't worry. Soul Dad makes an appearance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that that one was a lot of fun. Um, not one of my longer ones, but uh, yeah, uh, that's what she said. But <laughs> yeah, that is uh, available. And uh, yeah. Um, I, I mentioned it last week, uh, lastly, but uh, I am also coming on with coming on Joe Blow to do Resident Evil. Welcome to Raccoon City. So uh, let's see how my feelings change on that one. But yeah, that's uh, pretty much it for me. All right, uh, nothing else to report for me. Venom already mentioned No More Woman Hell Fifty Four. Um, I have recorded my guest spot on Joe Blow Horror Show, but it's not quite out yet. The entry I did was the fourth entry in the franchise, so there's probably a good chance by the time we record. Well, no, actually, it, it, probably in a couple more episodes. I was going to say the main show, that my episode of that will be out, but we'll see. We'll play that by ear. Um, I, I thought you did Extinction. Isn't that the third one? No, no, I did Afterlife. Oh, okay. I'm 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 sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's what happens when you just say yes before you actually get your assignment. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, what else? Uh, nothing else. My my picks are next up for No More Room in Hell. I think I know what they're gonna be, so we'll get ready for the planning stages of that. Um, Woo! We're going to Italy. Yeah. <laughs> And let's see, other than that, uh, the next episode of Fresh Cuts, we have a we have an August that's going to feature 
a good amount of theatrical releases. So our first episode of August will be one of those, which is the sequel to The Meg. The Meg Ooh. 2, is, isn't there a subtitle to it? Trench. Or the Fucking trench. awesome. Oh, trench. oh yeah. right. Or Trenched, yeah. I would have preferred awesome. fucking awesome. <laughs> the Meg 2, <laughs> fucking awesome. Yeah. Um, the the trailer looks fun. It looks like they they did the proper thing, which is like, okay, let's take the fun elements from the first one everyone liked and ramp them up, but we'll see. I mean, trailers can be deceiving, but I, I think they understood the assignment at least, what what you got to do. So, uh, And it's a night, It's g- going to be a good summer theme. I mean, it's a, Killer Sharks. Shark yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's Killer Sharks. <laughs> yeah, so that'll be uh, our next episode. Um, in about a week's time, give or take. So until then, I uh, just say thank you, everyone, for listening to the latest episode of Fresh Cuts. Let's say bye to our listeners. Later. Let's just not play party games, ever. Let's just no more party games, and then we'll all be safe. Yeah, uh, or just don't. I mean, if you want to talk to the spirit, just don't let them in, okay? No. <laughs> you're going to play party games to stick to the monopoly. <laughs> Get, just get drunk and high like normal teenagers. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Peace.